This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we learn how NetApp sausage is made with Andrew Klosterman of the Clandestine Advanced Technology Group. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipok. Zipok. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm in the studio here and I have with me uh, someone from the Advanced Technology Group, uh, Andrew Klosterman. So Andrew, uh, if you could tell everybody who you are and what you do here at NetApp. So uh, I'm uh, an engineer in uh, NetApp's Advanced Technology Group. I've been working at NetApp for just over four years. Uh, The Advanced Technology Group is kind of NetApp's... uh, Frontline, a speculative execution on storage technologies, uh, an idea factory, if you will. We work on stuff that's uh, beyond the immediate roadmap concerns for our product groups and try to keep them informed of technology coming down the pipeline um, so that NetApp is ready for it when it gets to us. Okay, so what sort of examples of things that have kind of incubated in the advanced technology group have made it to actual products in NetApp? Ooh, Yeah, so ATG really started kind of back in 2006, and I know about that because one of my college housemates was one of the first hires for the Advanced Technology Group, and he worked on some of the first NFS version 4 client and server code um, that was written and prototyped at ATG. Um, We've done stuff like uh, prototypes, uh, the compression and some of the deduplication, I think, for Waffle. That was a long time ago, way before uh, Waffle was ready to implement those technologies. Oh, we've worked on persistent memory stuff. Um, right now, persistent memory, NVMe, um, non-volatile DIMMs is pretty pretty topical. But uh, ATG, not myself, but others, um, I've only been here four years, we're working on that beyond four years ago to uh, get NetApp ready for new storage tiers. We've had projects to distribute data around NetApp storage clusters um, way before um, NetApp was, was really doing that. Um, that's, that's moving things around, not just uh, a static placement. Um, I think it was around 2010, possibly, one of, my, one of my friends was working on tiering data from Waffle out to objects, and that we're, we're seeing in product nowadays. The Hadoop connector for NFS, that came out of ATG. Um, that was about four or five years ago, I think. The Trident Storage Provisioner. People have heard about that, I think, on this podcast before. And that one came out of an ATG project and uh, transitioned to product. Now the world is enjoying that one. Um, let's see, the ASUP Community Wisdom feature. I don't exactly remember what they call that, but... Uh, Was it Active IQ? Active IQ stuff. That's right, Active IQ. Um, there's a, a machine learning application that ATG prototyped for uh, finding outliers in particular settings. Like your setting is 123 for person, uh, but uh, the rest of the world uses the setting of 42. And so you might be an outlier and maybe that's something to check. Uh, Project Memoir within the Advanced Technology Group was work published at FAST, I think back in 2015. And that was uh, NFS workload analysis um, with uh, line rate network packet captures uh, associated with it. And that was a, a, a fun project that ended up becoming an incubation for the on-command Insight Ethernet monitoring unit. They came to us wanting to figure out uh, something interesting to do with network packet captures and had a particular use case that we could use the code that was developed and published and turned it into a product. That was uh, I worked on that project and it became... Uh, something we did in a little bit less than a year, I think. And another one I think that's becoming productized um, was some data mining that ATG prototyped on your non-primary data, so your backup data. I think we did this a lot with your uh, AltaVault um, compressed data, backed up data to the cloud, and let our customers um, do some analytics on that. So let you uh, put your backups to work, for instance. Cool. So you guys kind of have free reign of just ideas, right? You're the idea generators. We, we do. It's very much uh, a free-range kind of academic environment. Uh, we do have some immediate product needs uh, pushed down to us, for instance, um, when the, the, the technology or the, the product groups have more immediate needs, and we step up to meet those. Um, the, the free range of ideas is where we get to publish stuff 
and go to conferences. Um, but uh, an idea factory is a is a good way to put it because we have a set of ideas where ATG engineers and actually I think anybody at NetApp can publish, hey, why don't we consider working on this? And then we have some little back and forth dialogue hashing out the pros and the cons of whatever the idea is and eventually a decision is made to, yes, launch a project or a project or or not. So what's the genesis of these ideas? I mean, do they all come from ATG or do you get them externally? And if they do come from external locations, how do people – do you have a suggestion box, so uh, to speak? Our suggestion box is pretty much our quote-unquote idea pipeline. It's a We have a SharePoint site where – internal NetApp folks can publish or can post ideas and we do our, our like kind of like a blog and you have a, a comment section where we do our, our dialogue. Um, the, the other sources of ideas that we have are just reading stuff on the internet, our own sources of technology news and our own understanding. I mean, the, the advanced technology group is made up of somewhere usually between 20 and 20 and 30, um, really smart storage systems people. And even broader than storage systems people, we have expertise in other areas like networking and uh, distributed systems. Um, but because so many of us have uh, advanced degrees, PhDs really, about 20 PhDs out of the whole group, um, the, the, the depth of our expertise really, really goes down there. So we're thinking about storage systems problems all the time. Um, we're casting uh, the viewpoint of our customers and our engineers um, on the problems as we see them and sort of saying, okay, if this is the world now, what's the next step? And then we can we predict what our next step is and can we think about what the next step is past that? So we're going out trying to think about things really from ATG's perspective three to five years down the line nowadays. And that's those, those technologies. When I was talking about um, about four or five years ago, ATG was working on persistent memory technologies. And here we are five years later, and we're, we're started seeing some deployment of that kind of stuff with uh, Max Data. So with ATG, do you guys just kind of start the process and then kick it over to, to engineering? Or do you guys actually write the stuff and then say, here's the prototype? We, we do. So you, you get an idea that we decide to launch a project on. And those projects can come, uh, can come under different, different types of projects. We kind of have explore projects where definitely we're investigating some new technology. Um, an innovate project where we're actually trying to build something new. So that's different than the explore where we're just sort of sketching out the space and getting a better understanding. Innovate project, we're building something. Um, generally, it's to meet a specific identify maybe product need or gap. Um, and once we innovate to build something, some prototype, we usually have a demo to some executives maybe or um, certainly to some stakeholders who we've already identified and perform maybe a, a tech transfer process to that product group. So for instance, I, I mentioned the on-command insight Ethernet monitoring unit that, uh, that I worked on prototyping. That was an innovate uh, project where we actually did a tech transfer to the product group and they took that off and uh, deployed it and are, are, it's out there in the field today. They're also, for a third type of project, an influence project, where we're trying to find a solution in a problem space that's relevant to NetApp customers and to the company as a whole. And that's, that's more of a, a nudge, where in ATG we see a technology area, we see an impact that it will have on NetApp or our customers, and we say, let's think about something a different way. And that's more of a, a communication or education exercise, you, you might think of it as this is what we might consider doing instead of our current path, or here's a nudge uh, in, in one direction. Um, other things that, for, from project perspective that we do are technology analysis reports. They're deeper dives on particular technology areas of concern to NetApp and our customers to keep us more informed. And they're, they're even, even broader than the Explore project, and they, they try to cover a lot more ground. So what sort of things are you looking into these days? Like what sort of forward-thinking things are you looking at? So from an ATG perspective, the major technology areas that we're looking at, uh, it's always, always, always performance. Um, performance is top of mind for so many customers. We're always looking for interesting caching algorithms and new tweaks on caching, um, measuring cache uh, effectiveness. Uh, different protocols for storage that might be faster. 
um, different APIs for accessing data, and even for doing management operations. How can we make sure that things are performant? Uh, new media are always things that we're watching out for. So the, the hardware roadmaps for our, our disk suppliers are things that we, pay, we get to pay attention to. Um, technologies like uh, cha- changes in hard drive technology over the years where hard drives went from uh, perpendicular recording most recently to um, shingled magnetic recording and different ways to use shingled magnetic recording SMR hard drives are things that we actually had a project on in ATG a few years ago. And that that was uh, that's you know and and as new storage technologies come out for for flash and new uh, flash translation layers, those are things that we watch out for for performance reasons. We're concerned about data management. Uh, NetApp is a you know the data authority. We're always looking for ways to make sure that we can make sure that the customer's data is compliant, um, perform some governance um, asp- um, operations on the data, um, audit your data, and, da- and data accesses. We're looking at things like F policy. That uh, lets lets um, on on the fly uh, data uh, accesses be looked at, and making sure that we have ways to know that your data is protected appropriately, and and it's that it's according to its value, it's being stored correctly, and access is controlled to it. So making sure that it's, it's kind of classified. We're thinking about things like that for data management. We think about AI and machine learning, making sure that we can use. Um, data to the greatest effect, whether it's uh, data that uh, NetApp has internally, where we're looking at, at the, the data set of auto support payloads that come back to, the, to, to NetApp from our customer systems, or for how to make uh, NetApp storage work best with AI um, algorithms to uh, build up models and tra- to train models and then to, to run them. We're doing this for customers and internally, because, hey, if NetApp's collecting data, we need to be able to use it and uh, that's just one of those stages of a data's life cycle. What are we, we going to do with it once we got it? We also worry about, so in addition to performance, another big thing is uh, capacity. So how do you keep data accessible, do that efficiently, and for a very long period of time? Um, maybe in the future there's not so much data at rest where you put stuff off on a, in a tape on a shelf, uh, but maybe it's online much more frequently or much or always being used for uh, data mining. And if your data has to be always available, that's, you know, one of those things. How do we keep it online and accessible efficiently, you know, efficiently price-wise, um, you know, rack space-wise, all, all different sort of measures for efficiency. We're talking about storing stuff for a long period of time. We're also looking at things like uh, containers, um, serverless technology. We think about things like blockchain um, so certainly we already had the project from ATG a couple years ago on uh, the storage provisioner for Kubernetes, Trident, and that was uh, very much associated with container technologies at the time also. So containers are still forefront in our mind. Serverless technology like AWS Lambda, um, that's the storage interface for serverless is something that's also um, on our mind. We're definitely paying attention to uh, blockchain. Certainly the hype on blockchain was really big a year ago when Bitcoin was going for, what, 20 grand uh, a coin or something. Um, things have somewhat tailed off. You mean things have not gone according to plan? <laughs> for, for the record, for the historical record, uh, yeah. Um, different crypto coins have uh, had quite the roller coaster ride over the last 18 months. And that's that's just one of those things. By the time this is published, it might be back up to twenty thousand. And knows? yeah, that would be that would be fine by me and for a whole bunch of in, investors in block in uh, in Bitcoin and other coins. But but blockchain is interesting because it's one of those. You mean I can have a interaction with somebody who I don't exactly trust, and I can have a record of that interaction and its outcome that can be verified by third parties potentially, and. Certainly, the the use cases for those are are out there, but if you know, as long as you have someone you can trust, a, a trusted third party, or you can trust whoever you're interacting with, it's it's one of those things that's not necessary for um, maybe a particular use case. Um, I I I looked at a bunch of do I need blockchain flowcharts um, about a about a year ago, and for for those. Most of the outcomes were no. Your use case probably doesn't need blockchain. You can do with something else, and it's it's a it's a certainly an industry buzzword. And there's a lot of really interesting stuff you can do when you don't have to trust um, the the person you're act, the the party you're interacting with. And so the the possibilities of of what it can be used for are really kind of kind of amazing. But the the use cases right now 
Um, a lot of the stuff that uh, I've seen is like, well, no, I can really trust somebody and, and get away with a lot more performance uh, than, than some blockchain algorithms that can, can give me right now or um, a lot more IO, yeah, and a lot more performance. I'm impressed you said all that without uttering the words dark web. Well, why don't I have to go there? <laughs> <laughs> let, let, let them stay dark. They're, they're all right. <laughs> so uh, what other things are you guys looking into, like, you know, I know you mentioned uh, AI, ML. What about like serverless and data marketplaces? So that data marketplaces thing really ties in with, with blockchain a lot. Um, and data marketplaces are going to tie in a lot with crypto. Um, there was, so NetApp, I, I mentioned that NetApp's ATG, Advanced Technology Group, we do some technology analysis reports. And serverless, I think, was one over the past year, um, certainly because I know that because I was involved in it. Um, we had a blockchain report that we did for, for the company. Um, we did a data marketplaces report. Now, these, were, these are reports that are, like I mentioned, there were the, the three broad areas of kind of projects that we do with technology analysis reports being like the most, the, the broadest um, re- kind of reports that we do. So we did ones on blockchain. And so we have a good, a good resource of people within the company for uh, NetApp to, to draw on expertise in blockchain stuff. We have uh, we had an open source pro- an open source storage and open source in general investigation that we did to think about well what are the what does the open source ecosystem look like and how does that impact NetApp and our customers and knowing about certainly open source storage systems that are available data management systems that are available um, and 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 what that means for NetApp we had an, an AI and ML machine learning uh, technology analysis report. Serverless is one that I've, I've been working on. Uh, data marketplaces was another, and thinking that's that was thinking about you know how do you make your own data available to somebody else? And and when I think about this, it's it's the I'm a NetApp customer and I have a whole bunch of data that I might want to make available for people to use, but I want to make money off of it, and so I want to be able to put my data in a data marketplace where somebody else can anonymously, or you know some other you know maybe I know who they are, maybe I don't. Say I want to use your data, and I'll pay you so much for it. And how do you verify then that their payment is complete and that their their access has been enabled? Non-volatile memory—that's you know another one of those things that's uh, you know it's different storage media. Uh, NetApp cares about storage media quite a bit, so we we look into that and some of the future implications of that in those uh, technology anal- analysis reports. Another one that uh, I worked on was also about secure, distributed, and decentralized storage. So. We think about these three, these uh, four words, storage at the end of it. Um, certainly NetApp cares about storage. Secure storage, we've been doing for a long time. Crypto, uh, a lot of crypto is, is well understood in that regards. Distributed storage, we've also been doing for quite a while. That's, you know, as long as the you're accessing your storage across a network. You can call it distributed. Decentralized storage is something that's a lot newer to, uh, to, to the world. And decentralized storage is more a situation where the data is out there. You don't exactly know where it is. It's it's out in the cloud, and it's been broken up so that it stays secure and encrypted. Your data is still out there. It's distributed because it's you're accessing it across the network, and the decentralized component is the the real the real trick here. It's I've put data out there. I don't know where it is, um, and the people that are storing it don't necessarily know that they're storing my data. There are different projects uh, involved with this, like SIA, S I A. Filecoin, um, interplanetary file system—another word that you can you, uh, you can throw out there for that, where they're they're building these really crypto coin-based storage systems, where you rent out st- based on your local hard drive, and you get paid in crypto coins, um, particular to each project, and you store your data. You store somebody's data for so long. You make sure that's available for that entire period of time, and you get paid at the end of that period of time. Or they want to come and access the data. Um, you charge them on a per read or per write basis for accessing the, the data, and you get paid in crypto coins for providing that storage. So it's a it's a an interesting an interesting storage technology from the point of view that it is highly sensor resistant. So. If, for instance, you're storing your data on one particular storage provide, service provider and that service provider decides that it doesn't want to let you have access to your data anymore, they can turn off access to that data. With these um, secure, distributed, decentralized storage technologies, it's much more difficult for a single party to turn off access to the data. And so from the decentralization of the storage, that's something that 
particular parties might might be willing to pay for as a, a premium service over storing your data with a single service provider or even storing it from a couple major service providers because you're storing it on maybe hundreds of hard drives scattered across the internet to get rid of access to it, you would have to maybe compromise 50% of those storage nodes and turn them off to remove access to the data. Or in, in some cases, it's tunable. And so you can control just how many storage nodes would need to be compromised um, to remove the data from, from the internet. So that's a uh, the decentralized aspect of that is is kind of interesting. So that's kind of it's it's not necessarily a new idea. You know, you think back into the Napsters and people running it on their Resnets, or you know, you think back to when you know you had the your computer and you could set it into like sleep mode and it was working on cancer, right? <laughs> it was trying to solve cancer. SETI at home. Yeah, right. And you're basically letting the computer your your compute power be used for the greater good. Um, so decentralized storage is kind of like a storage rental. Of sorts, it is. It is very much a storage rental. The there have been projects, certainly in academia, that have been promoted since uh, the late 1990s uh, regarding this kind of stuff, and, and definitely the early 2000s. Um, the the idea though hasn't taken off. Um, it's out there, but in the late 90s and early 2000s, the world of computing was different. It was more. You had a desktop system, a tower system maybe that was sitting you had you had hundreds of workstations in your company or at, at your home, you know, maybe not hundreds at your home, but you had one at your home that it was just always on. Nowadays, uh, computing seems to be much more transient. The systems are on only while we're using them. You open your laptop and you do your business and you close your laptop and it's off. Um, back in the early 2000s, you went to your, your workstation at work and you sat there and worked all day long and you didn't turn it off at the end of the day. You left it on. It was on all day long. It was on all night long. And so it was available for access um, remotely during you know your, the time when you weren't there, even, even while you were there. Um, but, but nowadays, I think that um, some of the ideas of secure, distributed, and decentralized storage have fallen kind of out of favor because the computing devices that we use have changed over the years. But it's, uh, the some of the projects promote the idea of, oh, you want to provide storage to uh, an urban area. Well, as a business, you might buy some space in, uh, in a data center, local data center, and farm out your storage. Just buy a bunch of storage and or compute, put it there, and rent it out to whoever wants to use it. And so some of those um, secure, distributed, decentralized storage projects, um, that's, that's kind of their, their use case. So you've got local access to your data. Yeah, and I mean, traditional devices have changed. Like, you know, you talked about the laptop, but we now have things like phones and Internet of Things, and you have all these devices that are always on again. And Sil Silicon Valley, the HBO show, <laughs> I like to go back to this occasionally, even did this with the new Internet, right? This is, this is the new Internet, essentially, with Richard Spencer's thing. You know, having devices that can host all these different chunks of data and make it faster and easy, more easily accessible and secure. Yes, all, all of those things. Um, we do have little computers that sit in our pockets and are with us uh, all day long these days and right by our bedside all night long. The compute power and uh, the, the storage of them, um, well, actually, thinking about the storage of them, you, think about, you yeah. think about in, in, in the early 2000s, you know, oh, a, a couple gigabyte hard drive was, was big news, and now you got 32 gigabytes, 512 gigabytes in your pocket. That's right. You've also got half a terabyte in your pocket, and it's just sitting there, often idle. Right, you're not being used. So, I mean, why not? The the flip side of that, though, I'm going to say is going to be the power concerns. When it's plugged in, you got it. Why is my battery always dead? That's it. <laughs> That's it. I I watch the battery on my phone like a hawk. Um, I'm always worried about it when I when I see it draining. Um, it's one of my personal pet peeves. Is or or a, a worry, a technology worry, right? The the battery lifetime worry. Am I going to be left with a flat battery? And then what do I do? I got to find some place to charge it up. But my my concern with the battery is often not so much you know oh no it's it's low. It's more of what's draining it. Like I don't. I, oh sure. <laughs> like yeah. the paranoia in me is like who's using this? I'm not using this. Who's using it? Yeah, and the the another flip side of that certainly the so you got you got your storage on your in your phone. You got. Uh, some, you know, the processing is really quite comparable to what you got back uh, in the early 2000s. Um, the, the network connection, though, when you're out and about, you really want to be paying um, or, or using your uh, data quota to serve somebody else's data that, they're, that they might be requesting um, from you if you're running one of these uh, secure, distributed, decentralized storage things. Um, as long as I'm getting my own data, I'm in good shape. And 
my own kind of opinion of that is if it's if it's my data um, and I got enough storage locally, then I'm I'm going to be caching that. And so something like a, a Dropbox service or Google Drive or Microsoft OneDrive, those are certainly um, services that can cache my data locally and give me access um, when I need it across the network to the data that's not cached locally. And that might serve my own data needs pretty well. Um, the the secure distributed decentralized storage thing, though, the the, the hint there or the, the big point there is no one can turn it off very easily. So there's the, the decentralized aspect where it's sensor resistant. Yeah, and I suspect that a lot of the, I guess, slowness of that adoption has to do with maybe the politics and the things behind that, right? So th- people that could use this sort of thing, you know, who doesn't want their stuff turned off? Is you know, who's going to have their stuff turned off? Right? That's right. So those those people are going to be more concerned. I mean, your your banks and your financials, they're probably not going to use this sort of methodology right now because they're concerned with where their data is. I own it. I'm securing it. I need to make sure my regulations are followed. The people that are really worried about their data being turned off often are not the people that are going to get the most support within your overarching legislation. Um, there is that. So speaking of particularly legislation, the the regulatory concerns for, for data storage, like European GDPR, and more and more in the United States, um, regulations appearing for, for storage of personal data. Um, that's something else that ATG uh, monitors and cares about. Um, we are very cognizant of, well, this is what's coming down the pipe, and we need to be prepared for that. But, you know, the, the, the talking about whose who's data... Um, might might a government want to suppress? I mean, that's that's freedom of speech issues, and we, we get to a whole another another area of concerns there, and and cryptography. And sure, I can see your 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 uh, ciphertext, but I don't know the key to extract your plain text. And different um, uh, pushes around the world for escrow of keys. And back in the '90s, the Clipper chip in the United States, and that that uh, dialogue. Um, we we've had our own crypto experts at, at ATG think about these things, and that's you know stuff that we know about and are tracking. Yeah, and, and one challenge is going to be you know if you do come up with something like this, you're going to have to come up with multiple versions because every country is going to have their own different takes on what to do here. You know, and <laughs> some countries aren't going to allow you to have this sort of decentralized storage. Yeah, that's uh, that's a regulatory thing, and uh, you, you got to be able to keep the implement keep the the implementation legal absolutely um but there are you know it, it's that whole it, it might come down to in a lot of cases freedom of speech and is that a, a human right um regardless of any any particular jurisdiction of a of a local government yeah and that's going to really come down to the individuals and it's going to come down to the the countries themselves because i mean it's hard to dictate what freedom of speech means for everyone else even though you have a strong opinion of it yourself others may have an equally strong opinion in the opposite that's right that's right so as far as advanced technology group goes um it's pretty i I would call it clandestine covert you're kind of like the mission impossible of netapp uh sometimes we get impossible missions pushed our way um the most recent ones that I'm aware of, I can't really really share details of, but I'm happy to say that the mission was successful. Um, did it self-destruct? It, it did not. The message did not self-destruct in, in 10 seconds or anything like that. The, uh, the, the mission was uh, taken care of and, and successfully seen through by some folks. So we have ATG groups all over the world, kind of. So maybe your Mission Impossible analogy isn't, isn't too far off there. Uh, yeah, I mean, you guys are all over the place. So wh- where exactly are you? Well, I'm speaking to you now from Research Triangle Park in North Carolina. Are you? I actually am. We are <laughs> sure. I, I see we're in the same room. Uh, hold up your fingers. Show me a number between one and five. You sure you're not in the Matrix? <laughs> uh, we're we're all right there. We've got uh, we've got engineers um, in Sunnyvale, NetApp HQ. We've got in, we've got engineers in NetApp Bangalore. A large number of ATG engineers in NetApp Bangalore. We have engineers uh, at our site in Waltham, Massachusetts. We call that NetApp Northeast, Nain. Uh, we talk with those guys quite often. We're all we're all on the East Coast over here, so uh, we have actually weekly meetings where we get together with them and Sunnyvale. Uh, we have a technical director who happens to be up in Vancouver, I think, most of the time. We have people in – we have a person in London, uh, Munich, Germany, and I think that about covers it. So we're a, we're a worldwide organization, so getting everybody together at the same time is kind of tricky. So in, in- – 
I guess what I was getting at is you guys aren't really on the map necessarily for for NetApp. Not a lot of people know you exist. And this is this is an attempt to make that. Apparent. Yeah, the it, it's kind of sad. We are a, a great resource for people inside NetApp. Um, we're available for consultations within NetApp all the time. We have uh, most recently we had a great interaction with an engineer who sits uh, a floor above us, and we knew about him, and he had a, an interesting project. Uh, implementing something for for our file system, and came down and gave uh, us uh, ATG engineers a presentation, a quick presentation, just on the whiteboard. This is what we're doing. Um, what do you think? And we were able to point out some areas of maybe additional attention could be paid, or if uh, a different tweak was applied, um, it could be more broadly applicable. And so the the interactions are. Uh, of it, we're available all the time for for consultations. You know, what do we think about this? What do you, what are your guys? What is your guys' take on that blockchain thing? Can we have a a one on one talk about that? Or tell me about data management. What can we do for that? Are we doing everything that we can in this project to address the concerns that are relevant for data management? So the we're available for product groups, um, product managers to come and tell us we need to maybe build a feature in this area, but it's beyond the expertise of, of our organization. We could use some outside help. We're available for that. We're available for technical directors to say, I see some technology going in this direction or that direction, and could I get some help looking beyond that and, and getting some pictures of what the world might be like in three to five years? Um, we're available to you know anybody else within NetApp who has some questions. Um, NetApp University, educating our customers and our field personnel uh, as to what's going on. Are we going to be prepared for the world ahead? We have our own perspective on that. So I've been talking with some folks at, at NetAppU to see uh, what we could do to help um, help the company in that regard. The, the the resource that is the Advanced Technology Group used to be underneath. Certainly from its its from the inception of ATG in about 2006, I think, um, to, to just this year, ATG was tied under um, or was in the org chart under a Chief Technology Officer. And back in September, this uh, not this year, December of 2018, a few months ago, um, we moved under a new chief strategy officer, Atish Good. And that change um, is new to us still. Um, it's, only, it's been a few months. We've continued to operate um, basically as we were before, um, but are, we're reporting to a different organization. So maybe now we're more um, – maybe we have a, a more open uh, – goal of, of who, who will be helping in the, in the product groups. We're not tied under a CTO with uh, that CTO's um, um, goals for, for, the, for the year and for, for the future. Um, we may be able to look more broadly at, at what we're doing for the company from a technology perspective. It is the advanced technology group. We like to deal with technology. We like to deal with advanced technology. And we're, we're there as a resource for the company. Um, ultimately, that resource, the, the, us being a resource for the company is a resource for our customers. Um, in that regard, um, certainly to interact with customers a little bit, um, per, from a personal per- perspective, I've attended a few um, executive briefing center um, briefings with customers here in RTP, actually a couple walls away from where we're sitting right now. And um, that was it was great for me to hear about how our customers are applying our technology, how they're receiving our technology insofar as they're them giving feedback on how well we're doing implementing it and what the features might be coming down the road and how they'll be using them. Um, but it's, it was also a great interaction because as a technologist, um, I was able to explain to them. It was a couple of years ago. I, I was talking with somebody between sessions about shingled magnetic recording hard drives. And he looked at me like, what does that mean? S- SMR, shingled, what's, what's the shingle aspect of that? And so I was able to grab a pack of post-it notes and explain to him by slapping post-it notes over each other on the wall. As long as they're, they're overlapping, um, you can still see a little bit of the post-it note that's underneath. Um, but if you go and, and go and overwrite it, you're going to destroy that. So shingled magnetic recording hard drives um, write data in great big chunks that you know, they, the, the, the magnetic recording head is actually obliterating partially um, the data on a previous track as it records the data on the disk. And the post-it note analogy that I threw up on the wall really let it hit. Yeah, this is something that matters to me as a customer because it's the technology that's implemented at a pretty low level of the storage system that I use, but it, it impacts the, the cost for the disks that I buy and, and how the system works underneath. And NetApp has a handle on using those disks. So where exactly do you get your information? I mean, you, you have a lot of input from other product groups, but there's got to be other places you find things, right? Yeah, we are always scanning the literature um, 
websites just like other folks. You know, we we see the same re- uh, websites that other people do. Um, uh, we we attend academic conferences. Uh, we we write and read the publications from those conferences to learn about storage technologies and everything pertinent to NetApp, whether they're algorithms or data structures to use in products, um, to apply to the data that we store, like AI and machine learning. Um, we do our own web searches when somebody is querying us about about stuff and collab uh, collating information from blogs and. Um, I have a whole my, personally. I have a whole bunch of RSS feeds that I monitor on a daily basis. Uh, we get industry research, like you know, those Gartner reports, 451. Um, we we receive information from those and think about what what their um, predictions mean for NetApp. We have visits with uh, professors. They come and maybe give us a, a talk. Um, their, their their graduate students come along with them. We have little interactions. Um, we actually sponsor. Net, uh, university research. We have a, a procedure for um, granting money to faculty and, and different schools. It's called NetApp Faculty Fellowships, and that's a uh, anybody with an academic bent can apply for a NetApp Faculty Fellowship. Uh, the The link for that is somewhere online. If you search for NetApp ATG and NetApp Faculty Fellowships, I'm sure you'll come up with the link. Um, if not, there are ways to get in touch with us. That that that. Uh, Go beyond that from a university perspective, university interaction perspective. Uh, we sponsor that research. There's a, a web page, I think, and a, and a blog posting of the ones that we've granted, actually, also, that's available out there publicly. Um, we, we also reach out to connect our own industry um, insiders with academia. So when we see that somebody cares about, somebody at NetApp cares about um, AI and machine learning, we can connect them with the professors that we know about who are doing research in that area and vice versa. If professors come to us and say, you know, I could really use uh, some information that NetApp might have um, about uh, failure data of hard disks in the world. But we've worked with um, professors and had graduate students come specifically for for doing that kind of research um, against the, the corpus of, of data that NetApp has gathered in our auto support database. And we, we sponsor um, occasionally interns to come and work with ATG to do interesting projects. And there's certainly there are intern opportunities throughout NetApp now that we hire for. Uh, we also, as far as information, you know, where does NetApp get information? We, we generate our own new information. Um, we build interesting prototypes and we do experiments and we pull in data, we graph it, we show the trend. And is it up and to the right? Yes. Okay. That's good news. Oh, it's not. Let's find out why. So we, we, we draw from primary sources uh, when we can, when, we're avail- when we uh, can build something or we can talk with professors and the people actually doing research. Um, and we, we go for secondary sources that have distilled information down um, also. And uh, that gives us a, a jump start. And we work on uh, stuff that uh, is important to NetApp. So what was one of your favorite things to work on? And uh, what was one of the most difficult things to work on? So I've been at NetApp for four years. And I've probably gone over... Uh, maybe eight eight different projects that I've kind of cycled through. Um, the the favorite is is kind of something probably that I'm I'm starting up right now, and that's more concentrating on data management. And we've had projects at ATG going over data management uh, off and on. Um, recently, uh, there was a there was an effort a couple years ago that kind of kind of petered out. We had an interesting prototype. Uh, but nothing much came of it. But now I'm kind of reviving some of that push towards data management. I've known about uh, data management as a as a a problem to be tackled since oh the early 2000s when I was a graduate student um, at Carnegie Mellon in the Parallel Data Lab, and our industry sponsors came and said, "Yeah, we we're good on performance, we're good on planning for capacity and things like that, but we really need help on data management." So it's an ongoing problem. Um, Data management nirvana um, we have not achieved, so there's there's a lot that that we can do at NetApp to I think to to help push towards that, um, specifically in the in the space of metadata for storage management. And I'm trying to work on some thoughts on putting together um, maybe a project that could come along along uh, to to address that. Part of my part of my PhD was addressing data management, as it turns out, and that was uh, well, ten years ago now. And um, uh, the most difficult project that I worked on maybe here, ooh, 
I don't know that I should get into the the difficulties that we've that we've encountered. It's it's always it's always a challenge to uh, you know from an engineering perspective to overcome whatever you encounter as a difficulty. Um, but maybe maybe it's best if we don't divulge too many secrets in that. Right That's now. fine. That's <laughs> fine. And I guess with the data management piece, I mean, I, I guess you're being purposely vague because it's something you're working on in action now. It's uh, it's it's potentially an up and coming an up and coming project. Um, it's a big problem space. There's so much to be dealt with. I mean, just getting a handle on the litany of words um, to to spill off when you talk about data management and data governance and compliance and policies and auditing and access control and cryptography and the the the, the systems engineering effort that has to go into um, building a comprehensive solution to meet the requirement the regulatory requirements of the various you know new laws that are showing up out there and and how you need to architect a storage solution to comprehensively address those concerns um, and keep keep it so that your users are still happy and they're not you know stuck um, doing very slow accesses and can still access their data at speed and the, the the engineering effort to balance the requirements of the laws and regulations versus the requirements of the users for performance and flexibility and the system architects uh, as so far as uh, how they would Build a general solution and apply it to specific use cases. That's that's a big challenge. So that's that's kind of some st- some some thinking that I've been doing. That's just starting off, and you know, it's, it's a big space. Not that necessarily I will make the biggest contribution in the world to it, but uh, it's something that we need to be aware of. And so, as something that's still going to be relevant in three to five years, thinking about it now and on an ongoing basis um, is a good thing. Capital G, capital T, um, for for NetApp and for our customers. So since you can't really go into the specifics of what you're working on, can you go into what data management is in this context? It's, it's a loaded term, right? I mean, we say data management. It can be a variety of things. Is there a problem specifically that we're trying to solve here is, that you can divulge? Um, if that, and no's, you know, a, no's an okay answer. You, you know, it's, it's, it's not that no's an answer. It's that from – so in ATG, we have a – a great perspective. We have a great chance. We're we're looking at an academic solution, kind of more so than a, a product solution. So a, a product might be solving a particular problem for a particular use case. Um, in ATG, we have that liberty to take a longer range view, to think about what if this, and if what if this, then what if that afterwards, and so proje- projecting beyond the the immediate concerns maybe is is that. It's the luxury we have. It's we're not really pressured by uh, product release cycles. We're we're looking three to five years out and thinking what if on those timeframes. And the one one of those things that I think about. So I remember this was I remember Donald Rumsfeld. Okay, Donald Rumsfeld was once mocked broadly. I think for there are the known knowns and the known unknowns, and. I thought about that. That was back in my early graduate student career, so like 1998 or 99, something like that. And those are the things that we think about. We think about what we know that we know. And in ATG, we project out. We, what, what do we know we don't know? And what are the solutions that we can frame in that regard? And thinking about that even further, these are actually parts of the orders of ignorance, as I've heard it, it termed. So the orders of ignorance are the known knowns, the known unknowns, then there are unknown unknowns. And beyond that, there are things that we don't even know that we don't, we don't even have a framework for understanding that we don't know about them. So in ATG, we try to push those boundaries of the unknown unknowns and the, the framework for dealing with them down, down, the, down the road. So with, with data management that we're talking about here, it's getting a good baseline for our understanding of what we need to do today um, where our products are and where our products could go and where our customers could use those um, in a few years. And once they have those products in hand, what's the roadmap for enhancing the capabilities that we build into them and taking them to the next level? Um, it's, you know, it's that we can do whatever we want as we're imagining things on paper and um, making the rubber hit the road down the line that may be somebody else's problem. But uh, we can frame our own solutions to, to meet lofty goals. And, and uh, what actually gets implemented 
is up to the product managers and the engineers and the architects to find out what's in the business people to find out what's feasible and marketable to our customers and what they actually need. All right. Sounds like advanced technology group is doing a lot of things, not just, not just a lot of things, all the things really. I mean, you guys are really focusing the company strategy into a uh, nice area. Yeah, we, we have the, now under the chief strategy officer, we have maybe a broader mandate um, to interact with uh, more folks around the company. And, it's uh, it's 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 fun. It's it's a great opportunity from uh, an engineer's perspective, I think, to to have the freedom that we really enjoy and take advantage of to speculate as to what could be. The 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 what ifs are the things that we investigate. The 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 chance to reach out to anybody in the company, just shoot them an email and say, Hey, I'm from ATG. Um, I'm thinking about this got any thoughts, um, to, to jump onto a discussion group or a mailing list and see the, the traffic flying by and say, well, hey, what if we did something like this? Do you have customers or does it fit your own need within the company to, to do something uh, in, you know, along the lines of some you know, whim of our own that uh, we're not afraid to speak up and, and bang out a, a prototype on or, or share thoughts about? And it sounds like it's got to be a really kind of interesting job as opposed to like something that's more project driven or deadline driven. This is something that's just kind of open ended, right? It's very open ended. It it's it takes a different kind of mental attitude. So um, previously, I worked for a startup, and I was churning out features and fixing bugs on a daily basis, and that had its own um, personal as an engineer payback because I was seeing my code deployed and helping customers solve their problems. And in ATG, we don't get so much that um, job satisfaction. We don't see our code so much deployed in the field or helping out customers. Um, We see more our ideas down the road potentially affecting customers and um, influencing uh, NetApp's direction. And our, our time horizon for seeing feedback or positive feedback on an idea is is or I guess job satisfaction feedback on an idea is is pretty far out there. So I guess there, if you're into instant gratification, that's not the role for you. That is right. That is right. If you if you want to see your product, if you want to see your code ship, um, ATG is is probably not the best career path for you. But if if you're comfortable with um, a lot of fog of war um, around your thoughts, a lot of um, do I know? Do I not know? If I if I have to take a guess at an answer and go with my gut instinct, which way would I go? Um, if if you're comfortable with speculation and lots of uncertainty in the job, um, ATG, you know, could could be a, a a career path. The 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 difference to a product group is is kind of stark insofar as you don't know what you're going to be working on in ATG. Um, you could be pulled to any sort of project at any at any time. Um, you could be talking to um, executives or engineers um, in, in your audience and being able to tailor your message to meet your audience and to to answer their questions and meet their needs as efficiently as possible is an ongoing challenge, whether that stakeholder is at the executive level or um, a technical director or engineers who you're working on to to extract um, technical details of how, how does ONTAP do this or, or th- you know, a way to implement your, your own ideas. Um, the, the the speculation is an interesting mental part of the job, and the the uncertainty that goes along with it. The uh, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one to point out. Um, we're we're hiring an ATG, and one of the things that we do try to make sure we impress upon our our job candidates is the speculative nature of our work um, versus the 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 engineering um, to meet. To, 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 to complete and close feature requests and, uh, and fix bugs. The, the job roles are very different. Yeah, and it's interesting because engineering, from my experience, people that are engineers generally want things to, to have an end. <laughs> right? You have a start, you have an end, I, I move on to the next thing. With ATG, it sounds like there is no end. It's like it's just this open field. And that's kind of cool. It's like an open world R, you know, RPG. You know, you're like, <laughs> you're, you're everywhere. You're, you're in uh, Fallout or you're in, you know, Skyrim. But, you know, a lot of engineers want the, the Mario Brothers. Right, right. The, the, the job is, is ongoing. It's, you, you get your inspiration from wherever it, wherever it, wherever it attacks you. The, 
the 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 just before bed or in the middle of the night inspiration yes that is still there it, it's it's in there for any any engineering discipline the 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 use cases or the 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 problems that we attack in ATG are more well it may never even be of relevance to NetApp or our customers but we're going to think about it because for for where we where we sit now it might be um, relevant and we we have ways to to weed out our less productive thoughts from more productive thoughts. And of course we attack the more productive thoughts that we generate, but the, there is no restriction on, is this a good idea or a bad idea? The, the censoring, the self-censoring, um, kind of isn't there. It's throw out your idea from my perspective, throw out your idea and see if it germinates, throw it out there to the fertile minds of certainly the rest of ATG and see if your idea can take root and come to something and, and bear fruit. And sure, yes, uh, you know, following the analogy, uh, some of it dies on the vine and some of it bears fruit, but it's that we are the specul- we are a speculative execution branch for the company. We, we are guessing at what might, or what the future might hold and in seeing how it will be applicable to, to NetApp and our customers. And that um, different aspect of, of our existence versus the normal engineer's existence and the, the, the the roadmap plans for product and we're out there thinking beyond that roadmap beyond we're, we're going for those unknown unknowns and seeing what technology has um, down the road for NetApp the implications of if this thing becomes big um, what will it mean for NetApp and for our customers all right ATG sounds like a really fantastic place to be uh, Andrew thanks so much for joining us today and telling us all about it you're quite welcome. I expect that you might be inviting me back maybe in a year. Absolutely. We might do a recurring thing here, talk about ATG's projects and, and statuses and that sort of thing. Thanks again. All right. That music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netup.com or send us a tweet at NetApp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Andrew Klosterman for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah. 